this time Stephen Andrews will bring our sermon, The Most High Rules in the Kingdom of Men. For me, the first president that I remember is, uh, is Eisenhower. Now, some of you go back further than that. <laughs> So we won't talk any further back than Eisenhower today. <laughs> and um, the first debate that I remember is the Kennedy-Nixon debate. And uh, some of you uh, remember that. Some of you are too young to remember that. And um, uh, in that one, I, Kennedy definitely won. <laughs> and I have, um, I have definitely hidden during all of these debates. I'm getting to the point where I, I don't know um, what to think because there's so many of them and I don't ever remember there being that many debates in the um, presidential primaries in the past. Maybe there was and maybe there wasn't, but it just seems like there's a um, ubiquitous number of debates going on today and it just seems like it's over and over again. And uh, <clears throat> it was interesting that um, as I was uh, thinking about it, and, and uh, I was on the road, and we were listening to Fred uh, Coulter, and it was, he, made a, he was going through prophecy and talking about this also, and he made a really good point. He said, no matter who gets in, if they're not willing to acknowledge the God, acknowledge God and acknowledge uh, that we are, you know, that we're sinning, that, uh, that we have problems in this nation, it's going to go on just like it has been and, and get worse. You know, the whole point is that the leaders of this country must understand that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And until they do that, until they understand that, which is probably not going to happen until the, until the kingdom is here, because men are very stubborn, until that happens, it's, it's not going to turn around. Now, we may get a new administration, totally well, we will get a new administration depending on who gets in. But you've got to realize this is a big ship. <laughs> and uh, we, have, we have a great deal of hope, and we live in a wonderful country, beautiful country, with a lot, of, a lot of wonderful things. But it's a big ship, and it takes a long time to turn it around. And I'm hoping, and uh, we, I think we all are hoping that uh, things will... Uh, continue on and be good and, and that God will continue to bless this nation so that we can bring the gospel message out. It is interesting though that, that God shows us something very, very profound by, by teaching the first world ruler something about his power, about his glory, his power, and where that, that title comes from out of Daniel, the fourth chapter. We're very familiar with Daniel, the fourth chapter about Nebuchadnezzar and how he <clears throat> defeated Judah, took them captive, had them as, um, and even took uh, young men, put them in his, um, his off, in his uh, administration, had Daniel and the three, three other men, and they, the ones at least that we know of. There may have been others that were, that were a part of that administration, and we know that, that um, he was a the first world ruler. He was that head of gold in that, that statue. And it's interesting that God revealed to him 
his power. <laughs> well, a very interesting and profound way, wasn't it? How, if you want to get to somebody that has that much power, what would you do? Well, what God did was he just made him an, a wild beast, a wild animal. For seven years, for seven years. And I, I want to relate the, the dream that, that um, Nebuchadnezzar had. Because I thought, there's, if, if you read it, you understand profoundly how God is watching over men all the time. He, he has his angels watching over this kingdom, this, this earth. Beginning in verse 10. Thus were the visions of my head and my bed. I saw, and behold, the tree in the midst of the earth, and the height of it was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into the heavens, and the sight thereof of the end of all the earth. Leaves thereof were fair, the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had, shout, uh, uh, had uh, shadow under it, the fowls of the heaven dwell in the bowels thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. And so it was a great kingdom. He, he had a good kingdom. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. I always thought that was very pr profound, that he saw an angel in his vision come down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, Hew down that tree, cut off its branches, shake off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let its portion be with the beasts of the field, or uh, the beasts of the grass of the earth. And let his heart be changed from a man's, and let his beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men. And so when we see things go on in the world, don't think that God is not a part of what's happening in the world because he is. He knows what's happening. He, he may allow certain things to happen, but he knows what's going on. The angels watch. There's a powerful um, heavenly watch that's going on and things on the earth. And God knows what is happening. And he's very much aware of it. In in, and we know that he went through seven years as a wild beast. And he came back out of it. And he, he got his senses back. And in verse 34 he says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, praised and honored Him that lives forever, whose dom uh, dominion is an everlasting dominion, His kingdom is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar, the first world ruler, admits and commits that God is the ruler from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He does according to His will, in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what do you? And so even though 
we see all the things that are going on in the world and all the things that are happening, we know that God is watching over the world. And he has a hand in a lot of things. Some things he just allows because he sees the future too. And he understands. Some things he's looking for repentance. He would like to see the nation, this, this, this country, this nation, repent. Great Britain, uh, Australia, all of the, the ones that uh, we believe to be a, uh, of the Israelitish descent, to repent, to come back to God, and to understand that he is ruling. And we know that that might not happen until that day. In um, Isaiah, the fifth chapter, we have some warnings that God gave to Israel. And I think they're, up, they're appropriate for, for today. And they're, and they're coming in the form of what, what the Bible calls woes. And it's very interesting. There's six of them in here. And I'm going to begin in verse, uh, begin in verse 7 of chapter 5 of Isaiah. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, and behold, oppression for righteousness, and behold, a cry. Woe to them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there is no place that they may uh, be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Uh, I was thinking about the, uh, um, how the... the, the uh, Poor houses, and the, they, they build them very high, they put them in very small uh, cubicles, and, and then uh, all of the crime and all of that happens. It's happened in Detroit and different cities where they've tried to help the, uh, the, uh, the low-income people and the, and the poor, and they put them so crowded that the, the crimes that, that happen in those, those, those places are, are horrendous. And most of the time they just... Uh, they just uh, abandon them because they get so bad to live in. So God says those are things that, that he looks at, that woe to, to, to be so close. In my ear, said the Lord of hosts, of truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyards shall yield one bath, and a seed of Omer shall yield an epa. Woe to them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine and flame them. That's another problem that we have in this society and we understand that a lot of the problems with um, uh, death on the road, uh, accidents on the road are caused by people drinking and driving. Drinking and driving and then going in and, and running in the wrong direction or just driving around and, 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 and being completely and totally oblivious to what's going on. And we're seeing that more and more even in our own, own country in which they should know better. And the harp and the viol and the tabaret and the pipe and the wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished. Now understand, we're talking to, you know, these are words from Isaiah to, to Israel, but they can be a applicable to, to us today. Therefore, hell has is, hell is enlarged itself, and that is the grave, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that uh, rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. 
And so um, those that are um, not fearful of the Lord and, and respect the power that he has, they will be brought low. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God, that is holy, shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall, be strangers, uh, shall strangers eat. Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin is as if it were a cart rope. In other words, they, they drag their sins around with them. They, they publish them. They, they put them out for everybody to see. That's the internet, by the way. That's our social media, by the way, that everyone can see. We drag those sins around so that we can make sure that everyone sees them. That say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Yeah, that, is, that is absolutely what today is all about. Uh, sometimes you don't even know what to believe out there because of all of the misinformation that we get. It's very difficult sometimes to, to even listen <laughs> um, to, to the news or to anything because they kind of twist it a little bit uh, so that it fits their, um, their ink, what they want. And sometimes they call evil good and good evil. Woe to them, and, and what's, where does the good come from? It comes from the, the Word of God. And what's been done today? They're rejecting the Word of God. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. If they don't have the wisdom of God in their own eyes, they are not wise at all. And they're going to go about their lives as they wish as men do. Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine, men of strength to, drink, to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. So there are the woes God had published for all to read and understand. It's a, there's a lesson from Israel's history that I'd like to read. I think this is pretty interesting I, as I was putting this together. I kind of just accidentally turned to it, but I think maybe God was moving me over there to that, considering what the message was today, the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of men, and the kingdom of heaven also, we know that. In Second Chronicles, the 13th chapter, this lesson from, from Israel's uh, past, and it wouldn't hurt for our leaders to go back and really study this past. Beginning in verse 1, this is a lesson uh, of Abijah as he preaches. Interesting. Now in the 18th year of the king Jeroboam began Abijah to, to reign over Judah. And I think uh, everybody understands the, the, um, the, the two tribes, the, the uh, separation of the tribes. Um, uh, tribe of Judah in the south and the tribe of Israel in the, in the north, the ten tribes of Israel 
and the, actually three, Judah, Benjamin, and then of course the Levites came down because they couldn't stand being a part of what um, um, uh, Jeroboam was doing. And so uh, they came down and was a part of the, uh, uh, the priesthood in, in Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Micaiah, the daughter of uh, Uriel of Gibeah. And there was a war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So here we have um, a family feud. A very large family feud, we see. Abijah set the battle array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Now, if you've ever watched Braveheart or any of, the, of those shows where the men, um, <laughs> what do they do? They, they face off, and what do they got? They got swords, and they have very little other on. It is a bloody mess, that they, this kind of battle. There, there's, there's no hiding. They just, you know, they come at each other. So we had 400,000 chosen men, and Jeroboam also set in battle array against him, eight 100,000 chosen men, being man, mighty men of valor. So he had twice as many men, twice as many. And they were both men of valor. They picked the best to go and fight this war, this family feud, so to speak, because they were from, you know, all the tribes of Jacob or Israel. So and Abijah, here's, here's, here's what Abijah does. He stood up on the Mount Zimmerim, which is in the Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam and all of Israel. Ought you not to know the Lord God of Israel? Um, ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel, to David, forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? So Abijah gets up on the hill looks out over these 800,000 men and Jeroboam out there also, and he begins to preach to them. <laughs> and I thought this was pretty brave of this, you know, of this, uh, this ruler of, of Judah. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of, of, of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and has rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered to him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam and the son of Solomon. And when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David. You be a great multitude. And there are with you golden calves which Jeroboam made you for gods. So here we have, they bring down their golden calves so they can worship it. They got these 800,000 men out there. And, Jer and, and Abijah standing on the hill preaching to them. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord? the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made you priests after the manner of the nations of the other lands, so that whosoever comes and consecrates himself with a young bullock, seven lambs and the same may be priest of them that are no gods. So they get their own priesthood. They put them all together. But as far as the Lord is our God, as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests, which minister to the Lord, are the sons of Aaron and the Levites, wait upon their business. And so he, he puts it to them. And they burned the Lord every morning and every evening, burned sacrifices, sweet incense, showbed, and also set 
they in order upon the pure table, and the candlestick, and the gold with lamps thereof, to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God that you have forsaken him. He's preaching the gospel message to these guys. He's saying, look, come back, repent, change, come back to, to the truth. And behold, behold, God himself is with us. For our captain and his priests, the sounding trumpets to cry of the alarm against you, O children of Israel, fight you not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. You're not going to prosper on this. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment. Aha, I'm going to be smart about this. You know, Jeroboam says, I'm going to go in behind them. I'm going to surround them. I got all these men. I can take, I can take advantage of them. I can take advantage. So he surrounds them, causing an, an ambushment to come upon behind them. So they were before Judah and the ambushments behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battles were before and behind, and they cried to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. And the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all the Israel before Abijah and Judah. God was on Abijah's side. God was on Judah's side because they were obedient to God's word. They were keeping the truth. And Jeroboam had led those people astray, had led them in, astray and had, had caused a, a, a great problem up there. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. I mean, they went hand to hand, slew those 800,000, so there fell down slain of Israel, 500,000 chosen men. This battle was so great but Israel, which was outnumbered Judah, lost 500,000. They, they escaped with 300,000 back, back up into, the, back to the north. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel, um, with towns thereof, and Jeshana with towns thereof, and Ephraim with towns thereof. And neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him, and he died. He had been disobedient to God from the beginning. God gave him a lot of chances to, to repent. Right there, there was a chance to repent, a chance to change. He could have had a, his whole army repent and change right there because he was preached to that God was with Judah and he could have changed, but he didn't. But Abijah waxed mighty, married 14 wives, fathered 20 and two sons and 16 daughters, and the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways are in them. So, his son takes over. His son is Asa, and there's peace for 10 years after this because of, the, of what uh, Abijah does. So in Second Chronicles, the 14th chapter, just the first seven verses here. So Abijah slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. 
uh, in the Lord his God, and for he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the grove, grooves, or groves. <laughs> I'll read it right yet. There's not two O's, there's only one O. So he cut down the groves, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. And he took away all of the cities of Judah, the places, uh, he took out of the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he, he built fenced cities in Judah and the land, and rest, uh, and the land had rest, and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build those cities, make them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and they prospered. Because he had, he, he had obeyed God, they built and they prospered and they grew. And, the, and, and things were very well with them for a while. Understanding that men are men. And we, we all have the proclivity for uh, doing things that we shouldn't do. Asa, um, Abijah's son, also had a little problem. Because there was peace and because there was prosperity, um, he also became a little bit uh, big-headed and thought he could get away with anything and do anything that he wanted to do. So he ran around God. He decided to do something without asking God's permission, without having God help him or, or do it. What he did is he called upon another, uh, a, another strong army to come and fight for him and fight with him. And, of course, that displeased God. Beginning in verse uh, 7 of chapter uh, 16, we find, And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So here we find that Asa had actually won a battle because God had given him the power to win over them. Well, in this case, he didn't. For the eyes of the Lord run... And this is very interesting. You just pull these right out of there. Understanding how God works by going back into the Bible and studying just something so simple as this, and all of a sudden you find out something that maybe you didn't know. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show him strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein you have done foolishly, therefore from hereafter you shall have wars. For his foolishness, all that... Peace was for naught, because now they shall have wars. <laughs> well, instead of repenting, what does Asa do? He gets angry at the seer. Asa was angry with the seer. Put him in prison. For he was enraged with him because of the thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. What could he have done? He could have... He could have realized his error and could have repented right there and asked God to forgive him 
And he would have. He would have. And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa, the thirty and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until this disease was exceedingly great. Yet in disease he did not seek out the Lord, but to the physicians. So he, in the end of his life, when God had blessed him so much with all kinds of things, prosperity, peace in his land and everything, and even victory over some of his enemies, he decides to totally reject God. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in the bed, which was filled with sweet odors and different kinds of spices prepared for the apothecary's art. And they made a great burning for him. So he was a great king, but he also made a great mistake at the end. Brethren, what I want to impress at the end here is that God doesn't just rule over nations. He rules over, the Most High rules over all men, both nations and families and individuals. And so consequently, we can go into God's Word and we can see how God wants us to live, how He wants us to recognize Him as ruler over our lives. Let's go to, to James, the fourth chapter, as we go through this and we really commit ourselves to the Most High that rules in the kingdom of men. And I didn't put down verse 1, but I think I'm going to start at verse 1, uh, Brian, because I think it's important for us to understand that, that, that these wars and fightings among you come they not even from the lust that war in your members. We, um, we have um, a, a problem with um, desires and things, and so consequently we, we war. We can even battle in our own families, battle with one another, or battle amongst ourselves, or battle against God. Because like Asa, we were, we're upset with him. Something's happened in our life. Maybe we've lost something and we blame God or we blame someone else for the same, for that that's happened. And so we have this war. You lust and you have not. Kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you, you don't ask. You ask not. You don't ask for anything. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your loss. And then he gets really serious. <laughs> James was, was um, very much into the, to the Word of God. Um, you adulterers and adulteress, know you that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And the reason why he uses that is because when we start using uh, those, we become like Israel. You know, Israel, um, God uses that analogy in, in the relationship that he had with Israel. They began to be too 
go out and become adulteresses to nations around them. Instead of turning to God, they turn to the other nations. And, they be, and so they turn their back on God, and God called them adulteresses, an adulterer, and whores, and idolaters, and all of those things that we know that God called those, uh, the Israelites. And so we put it down on, on this personal level. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So when we separate ourselves for whatever reason from God and we begin to live our own lives apart from God, we, became, we, we start separating uh, that relationship and we become friends with the world and, and God begins to stand away from us. You know, God doesn't leave the, the ones that he loves. He just stands away because we're sinning. We're, we're, we're sinning, and he doesn't, he hates sin. He loves us, but he hates the sin. And so he stands away from us. Do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit dwells in us, lust, the envy? There's a battle, isn't there? There's a battle going on. Paul was, was <laughs> he was always talking about that battle between the flesh and the spirit. He was saying, oh, man, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to be able to win, to be in God's kingdom, when the flesh is battling so much against me? And he says if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, he wouldn't be able to make it. But through Jesus Christ, we are able to make it. We are able to overcome that fleshly, the, the, the fleshly lust and those things that, that as, as James calls it, the spirit that dwells in us, lusts to envy. And yet the, the true spirit from God desires the relationship with God. Desires that relationship with God. But he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, that, that, that's part of, of our relationship with God. That when we sin and we humble ourselves before God, and we repent, God forgives us. God forgives us. <laughs> he loves us so much. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He's able to forgive those, those sins. He's able to come to our aid after a sin and, and forgive us for that. He wants us to be close to Him, to worship Him, to live and to... And, and to grow in his, um, his truth and his, his love. He wants us to understand that he is the one that we should be worshiping and living by. And, and, and our whole life should be covered in his love. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So... You do that through repentance, through prayer, through Bible study, through all of those things that we understand, that we, we talk about a lot. But you submit yourself, therefore, to God. You resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Sometimes the devil really wants his, God's children. <laughs> he really would like for us to mess up, to go back into the world, to forget all of the things 
that God has done for us, bringing us through all the different trials that we have gone through. He wants us to, to forget that so that we can go back into the world and we can lose out. God won't leave us, though. He is always there wanting us to repent, wanting us to come back, wanting us to, to return to this truth. And sometimes even if we've been gone a while and God begins to really show us how the, the need to return, He will bring that back into the heart and you will return. And you will return to Him. But you've got to resist the devil. You've got to come to that point in which you do not listen to Him anymore. You don't want to be like Eve and, and Adam in the garden and, and go out and take of that, that evil fruit. It says, draw near to God and, and He'll draw near to you. The closer that we get through our relationship to God, the closer He gets to us. I mean, it requires our, a little bit of work, doesn't it? It requires a little bit of time on our part to... Um, to make that relationship work. It's just like marriage and, and, and child rearing. It takes time. It takes time to develop relationships. And, and God is, the relationship with God is no different, except that He's the, the, the ruler of all the universe. He's made all things. He is the creator of all. And He is the one who's reached into our life and says, okay, I'm going to put you in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we wonder how in the world did that ever happen, that he would look down on, on us and realize that, that he loves us and he wants us to be in his kingdom. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is just helping us to understand the relationship to God. God is the ruler in the kingdom of men. He's the most high. And Jesus Christ and God the Father have come and dwelt in us if we have the Spirit dwelling in us. And for you young people who are out here who are listening to this message, He is there for you too. If, if you're listening and you're hearing and you're, you're writing down anything, He's there for you. He's there to take care of you and to bring you along. And that day that comes and you're ready for, for, for baptism, He'll come into your heart and He'll be with you. But if you really want him to be with you, you, you he, he will walk with you. And he'll bring you to that time. Those of us who remember those, those days, I, I, when I was a teenager, I somewhat re rejected God's calling. I was called, I was, I, God started calling me the rebellious teenager when I was 14. Actually, I was a little younger than that, but I didn't understand back then. But when I, when I did begin to understand, I was kind of rebellious towards God. Um, I didn't want, I didn't really want to, I, I really wanted to go, I would rather go fishing. <laughs> I'd rather do anything but, but go to church. Mom, I, I've, I've told this before, my mother just loved to take us to, to different churches. Um, and all the different churches that we went to, uh, Methodist church and Baptist church and all the other different churches. And, um, so I've been to quite a few when I was younger. And there was no one that preached the message like David Antion. Well, I was 14 years old, heard the message, understood how, how different it was, 
In fact, I think I even told my mother that, and I still was rebellious, and I didn't, really didn't want to have anything to do with church at that time. Well, God, God decided to do something to bring me down, and, um, and yet, um, you know, where it says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Sometimes he makes it so you have to draw near to him. I remember that uh, I got into a situation where I tried to become a conscientious objector, and it, and it didn't work out. And I ended up in, in, a, in a really big problem and, and spent some, some um, quality time uh, asking God to help me. <laughs> and, um, and so from then on, I realized that that was what God was doing. He was working with me. He was wanting me to separate myself from this world. Now, I had a lot of friends. Well, I had a few, not a lot. I mean, I had, there was a few of us that we had, and, and they didn't understand. They, they couldn't comprehend what I, what I was going through, why I was wanting to do this kind of stuff. Why not Sunday? Why not you know Easter, Christmas, all of that? Why go to the things that we were, that we, you know, the truth, the, the Sabbath, the, the holy days? Why those things? Why your life is, is like that? They couldn't understand those things. Only God can give you that understanding and can bring you along. And so, as a young person, if God is calling you and he is guiding you and directing you, don't turn your back on him. Allow him to lead you and guide you and strengthen you so that that you're ready for baptism. You're ready to, to, um, to have the Most High rule in your life. To have God rule in your life. Be afflicted and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. I spent an awful lot of time in that particular area because of what I had done. Um, and I think God wants us to come at a particular time and really understand the, the human nature. And so being afflicted and mourning and weeping and turning that laughter to mourning is, is really good for us and your joy to heaviness. But it can't stay that way. You can't be that way. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. That's one of my... Favorite one, that song about being lifted up. God will lift you up from that situation where you have prayed and you've repented, you've, you've seeked God's guidance, you've asked for His help because you, you have turned from Him and you want to come back. And He will guide you in that. He will bring you into that. Speak not evil one to another, brethren. James really helps us to understand our relationship with one another. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you that judge another? Go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and come there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. We have no idea, do we, brethren? 
We hope God will be with us and that we'll live in a, a, a long old age and that we'll have a lot of uh, you know, things that we uh, have accomplished. But we have no idea what God has and what our, how long our life is. And I think that's good. I, I don't think I would really know. Oh, well, your life is going to end out here, uh, you know, 75, 76 years old. You're going to just, you know, that's going to be it. I'm glad that God doesn't tell me, you know, tell us that. That um, and in Hezekiah, when he prayed, he asked that God would give him, you know, he wanted to live longer. And he prayed, he prayed and really hard. And, and, the, and Isaiah had to turn around and go back and tell him, hey, yeah, you've got another 15, 10 or 15 years. Of life, we don't know. God may bless you with healing and strengthen you in your affliction, in your time of, of trial and tribulation, and give you that strength that you need. But the 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 main thing, brethren, is that the Most High rules in your life, that He guides and leads you. You have it made if you have God's Holy Spirit. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that, a, that appears for, for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to have say, if the Lord will, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, I will do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him, it is sin. So we understand from James's just that one chapter, how we're to react, how we're to act, how we're to look to God, and how we're to change our life uh, so that God, the Most High, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, rule in our life and the lives of all men.